Good evening. Welcome to Alden Union Church. We're glad that you could join us. Uh, just a few announcements. Just a reminder to be looking through your bulletin. Well, there's a lot of ministries and a lot of opportunities. And if you'd like to get involved, you can definitely be reading through that. Because I work with the, uh, the worship, it's, uh, I get to plug stuff. So um, next Sunday night, our Joyful Noise, our, our Young Children's Choir, as well as our Hosanna Chimes, um, that ministry is starting back up, and we take a break for the summer, and now we're uh, beginning back up again. And that's at uh, 5 and 5.30 downstairs in the music room. We'd love to see uh, uh, as many kids come out to that as possible. It's, be, it's a great time. Why don't you join me as we open in a word of prayer. Lord, we're grateful for your provision. We're grateful for how you love us and how you show us in our daily lives. And, and Lord, even the things that we don't see, we recognize that you are sovereign. Lord, tonight as we dive into your word in multiple ways and looking at different things, would help us to uh, be able to recognize Lord, what you have for us. We are grateful that your word does not come back void, and I pray, Lord, tonight would be 100% about that, your revealed will to us, and that we can look to you, Lord, knowing that you are in control. Help us to focus and give you the glory this, this evening. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you please take out your hymnals, let's open up to hymn number 277. Let's all stand, let's sing together, The Church's One Foundation.
Amen. You may be seated. Good evening. Tonight we're praying especially for uh, Sonny and Ruth Akakoro and uh, in your bulletin some of the information there that they've given us uh, recently. Uh, but we just want to remember them and of course they represent all the missionaries that we support here at Alden. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you tonight for the many who were able to support here at Alden Union Church who are out in full-time vocational service for you. We think tonight especially of Sonny and Ruth and we thank you for the years of service that you've given them. We thank you for the ups and we thank you for the downs and for the growth that both have allowed them to experience. Father, we thank you for the encouragement it is for them to have men in their, uh, their assembly that are growing up and, and, and taking leadership roles, uh, beginning to do some preaching and teaching in, in various areas. And we just thank you because we know that that is the goal, to, to raise up those who can continue the work and remain true to the word. And I just pray that that would be a continuing encouragement for them. Tonight we think of uh, the difficulties that uh, Ruth's uh, illness brings, the uh, Alzheimer's fathers. Many of us have experienced uh, caring for folks in that situation. We know how difficult that makes life for Sonny. Uh, Father, we just thank you that uh, we know that you are in control, that you're giving them the strength and the grace for each moment of each day. And we just pray that as the difficulties increase, the, the various physical illness, uh, illnesses that come with that, I just pray that you'll encourage them and, and let them know that uh, people are, are praying for them and lifting them up. And Father, help them to look long range, to know that one day they'll be with you and all pain will be gone, all suffering will be gone, everything will be joy and light. And we just look forward to enjoying that time of eternity with them. Father, we also thank you for the opportunity that we have to give uh, from that which you've given us. You've blessed us so greatly in so many ways. And as we give back now a portion to you, I pray that we will give with a, a willing heart, a cheerful heart, that we will give generously, we will dig deeply, for we know that if it costs us nothing, it really isn't meaningful. Father, help us to be the, the widow who gave her two mites rather than the, those who give out of abundance without any effort at all. And Father, we pray that as these monies are given and as they impact our church, our community, our country, and our missionaries around the world, that your name will be lifted high and you will use it in any way that you desire. And we thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Dead 
Nancy and Lois and Dave and Dave and Lois, thank you for not moving to St. Louis or someplace far away so we get to see you every once in a while. If you're new to our church tonight, this is not what we normally do, but uh, we normally have a uh, service that everybody stays here, but tonight we're going to begin the first of four weeks of electives, which means you have a choice of where you're going to be going, and I'm going to ask the teachers of the electives if they would come forward right now and tell us a little bit about their electives just so that we know what is going on. So if, uh, I don't know whether, oh, there's Chuck, okay. I'll give you a little little inkling of what's about to happen. We're going to have a, an expert on sin. Um, and an expert on reform. And somebody who I think wants to make an apology. So um, we'll find out who they are and what they're teaching. Guess I'll go first. You've heard the term, this changes everything. About 500 years ago, there was a period that happened that changed everything. It's called the Protestant Reformation. We're going to be taking a look at that over the next four weeks. Uh, both Dave Pilgrim and I are going to be teaching it together, kind of a tag team. So that should be interesting in itself. Uh, and uh, tonight specifically, we will look at why should, we, why should we study church history. We'll look at a very quick overview of church history from the apostolic age through the Renaissance. And we'll also talk a little bit about uh, the pre-reformers, those who came before Martin Luther. And if time allows, we'll, uh, we'll do a quick biography of Luther. I think that's where I would go. Just... Uh, in 1999, Bill Craftsman uh, um, published a series. It was called The Search for Meaning. And uh, basically, it was uh, a series of questions that an unbeliever might ask uh, that are foundational to, to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, tonight, we're going to be um, talking about the existence of God and the existence of miracles. So that, that's where we're going to open up. There'll be a lot of discussion, and uh, hopefully it'll give you some talking points uh, when you have those opportunities to just um, discuss with an unbeliever some of these truths.
Doctrine of sin, what will we be talking about? You want to get involved in sin? Come to this one. <laughs> what can I say? Um, tonight we'll talk about what is sin and where did it come from? Thank you, I think. Uh, uh, if you're interested in hearing more about the doctrine of sin, that will be right here in this area. If you're interested in going to the Reformation and going back to Martin Luther, that's downstairs in Fellowship Hall. And if you're interested in the existence of God and the, the rest of that series that Chuck mentioned, that's going to be in the chapel. And uh, as we go to our various places, or if you stay here, in either case, try to find some folks to greet along the way. It's one of the things that we like to be able to do. So uh, find some folks to greet as you're on your way, and have a great, great night of electives. Okay? There is no one like God. He is totally unique, totally holy, totally above everybody else. Well, you understand, man, male and female were not created animals. Animals are created first. We didn't read that whole part in the chapter. And then he created male and female special, with a special blessing. He created them different from the animals. They have a special we have a spiritual quality that animals don't have, do we? Animals have a spirit, but they don't have a soul. Animals don't go to heaven. You all think your pets are going to heaven. I know that. I'm sorry for you pet people. But I'm sorry, that's not where they're going. They go back to the earth, and that's it. Okay? But man was created a spiritual being in likeness to God. He was a spiritual special, unique creation, just like God is special and unique. That's the first thing. A second thing. Somebody mentioned this. Being in the image of God means we can have a relationship with God, a special relationship. This morning we had communion. We read from, we were quoted from 1 John 1, 3. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, right? The fact that as humans, we can have a fellowship, a partnership with God that animals cannot have. Because we have the ability to be in relationship with God. You understand God has always been in relationship. You got that figured out? How has God always been in relationship? Trinity. Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's always been Father, Son, and Spirit. 
He's always been in relationship. One God in three persons. And so being created in the image of God means we are in able to have relationship with him. We're going to see that part of this was we're given God's attributes in a limited capacity. God has them in unlimited capacity, right? So in Colossians 3, 10 to 12, it says, You put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We are able to have in a limited quality things that God has in unlimited quality. So you see holiness on here, and love, and kindness, and compassion, attributes that God has that he then gave to us in a limited capacity. We read in here, let them, verse 26, have dominion over the fish of the sea. Who has total authority over everything? God does, right? And if any kings have any authority, how do they get it? Only if God, Remember, if you read the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar realizes that any power that he had, any authority he got, was only because God allowed him to have a little bit of authority. And so God creates man, and he gives him dominion, authority over the earth, which only God can do, is have dominion and authority. And so that's something, again, that being in his image is that authority that God gives us over the earth. And then the last one here. Being in the image of God means we are created a unified being. We are unity in complexity. Can anybody here understand the Trinity? How God can be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the same time? Can be three and yet one. If you can, please, un- please explain Jesus' baptism to me. Where he's being baptized, the Holy Spirit's coming down like a dove, and God in heaven is speaking, and it's all the same God. Good luck with that one. It's a unity that we can under- can't understand the complexity. It's beyond our ability to understand. Well, explain to me body, soul, and spirit. Explain to me how your body can die, but you're still living. We can't explain it. We have unity in complexity, just like God does, in a different fashion, but only because we're created in the image of God. We will talk at times that man has worth, right? Man must have all sorts of worth because Christ died for him. The only worth we have is because we're made in the image of God. That's the only thing that gives man worth that Christ would die for us. Not because of us, but because we bear his image. That was the whole original intent for why God made us, to bear his image. Did he create us because he needed us? The answer is no. He had no need of anything. But he decided that we would bear his image and demonstrate his worth by bearing his image. And so man, number one, is created in the image of God. Now, just a question for you. If we believe that man is created in the image of God, then what must we not do if we believe that? You can look at Genesis 9-6 if you don't know the first one. If you actually believe man is created in the image of God, 
There's something God says that you cannot do. Anybody know what the first one is? Again, you have to use your outdoor voice. Somebody's just saying sin. Now there's a particular sin. What is it? Murder. Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man isn't in his own image. You realize your murder is not wrong against God just because you're killing another man. It's because you're killing one who was made in God's image. You're attacking God's image when you take life because only God gave special life to man. So the first thing is not to murder. And then you get to the book of James, and we're not going to turn to this one. I'll show it to you on the screen. James says there's another thing you must not do if you believe man made in God's image. And this is the one we don't necessarily think about. He says this, talking about his, our tongues. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You understand God has said, if you believe man's made in the image of God, you also are not to curse or disrespect other people. What did Jesus equate to murder? Remember, he said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder, which we just read in John 9, 6. And then he said to the Pharisees, but I say unto you, don't even hate somebody. If you hate somebody, you've murdered them in your heart. You're basically saying, I wish that person wasn't alive. And James says what you're violating is you, are, you don't believe they were made in God's image because you're saying they don't deserve to live. So it's interesting. God puts some special ties to this fact that we were created in God's image and created to be a certain way. Now, back in Genesis 1, that's the first thing. In the original creation, we know man was created in the image of God. Male and female, right? This is not a man or woman thing. Both were made in the image of God. That's why it's not appearance. Verse 31. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was... What's the next words? Very good. So what was man like in the original creation? He was declared very good. Not just good. It was good. It was also very good. That's the second thing we see. Then look over in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Remember the first sin we talked about? The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. And so we understand man was created moral. He was created with the ability to understand what was right to do, what was wrong to do. You can eat of every tree, but of one tree you can't eat. And so evidently Adam and Eve knew that was not the thing to do. That's what they were instructed to do. And evidently up until the temptation in Genesis chapter 3, that's what they did. Did not eat from that one tree. So, created in the image of God, declared very good, created moral, and it was a great start, and we would say, boy, everything's gone downhill from there, hadn't it? You realize not everybody thinks that? There are even a number of churches that don't think that, that think the church, the righteousness of the church, will bring in the kingdom that Christ will reign on, and so the church is here to make things better and better and better, and Christ will come when everything's righteous. Well, the church is not doing a very good job at that, is it? 
And if you ask a lot of people, they'll say things aren't really getting worse, they're getting better and better. In fact, that's what evolution teaches. Evolution says things are progressing better and better and better. In fact, anybody familiar with the, the Star Trek? Any Trekkies in here? You understand it's based on this premise that mankind is getting better and better. If you've ever seen the show, they're always talking about we've evolved past needing these things and we've evolved past selfishness. And, we've, and yet in the show, they're always being selfish. They're always, it's amazing how they talk. We, we're so far past what we used to be. But the idea is that mankind is going to progress. Online, you can find anything online. You know that, right? A number of places online, different websites, they'll ask people, do you think mankind's getting better or worse? you think things are getting better or are they getting worse? I pulled a couple of interesting things off it. Here's one answer. This one person said, our nature's the same. In some ways, we have become more tolerant of others because it's socially unacceptable in most places. Racism, sexism, and homophobia are considered horrible traits in most societies, but these things are not part of our nature. They're learned. It seems that religious bigotry is one of the last acceptable prejudices. Someday, hopefully soon, it will also be socially unacceptable. Isn't that an interesting thing? Interesting. Homosexuality is not wrong. It's homophobia that's wrong. And we've started correcting. So things are getting better. It's just we get these religious people out of here. Here's another one. It's getting better. Mankind is more accepting, understanding, tolerant. Those things are now seen as good things. Of course, if the religious had their way, they wouldn't be good things. A number of people think things are getting better. We're now accepting just about any lifestyle. And the only people bucking it are some of you religious fanatics. If you would stop bucking the trends, everything would be perfectly fine. Well, you tell me. How do you know mankind's not getting better? Got any quick examples you can give me? And again, use your outdoor voice so everybody can hear you. Look at the news. Oh, the news is always getting better and better, isn't it? Do what? ISIS. Isn't it, isn't it amazing? You get rid of supposedly one group. Oh, Al-Qaeda's gone. And they just keep cropping. And they get worse. The next one cropped up is worse than the first one. And it just, well, we're, we're taking care of this, right? And when we wipe out ISIS, we'll have it all taken care of. Well, we know from Scripture, it don't ever be taken care of until Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation period. But things aren't getting any better, are they? Got any other examples that show you things aren't getting better? Okay. Yeah, everybody's under it. If you don't keep the political line, it gets worse and worse and worse, doesn't it? Anything goes. You know them back there? Yeah, which we think is bad, but some, oh, this is a good thing that we're all being the same and going the same way. Uh, how, many, how, many murder, how many school shootings have we seen in the past five years? Or that up at the Poconos, and that, does policemen just get ambushed? I mean, things are getting better? Mankind is progressing? We're bringing in righteousness? Nah, after creation, we know it's just steadily gone downhill even though not everybody believes that look in Genesis 3 a second here's how man was created he's created the image of God he's declared very good he's created a moral creature 
And in verse 4 and 5, the serpent says to the woman, You will not surely die if you touch this fruit, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And then the woman gives in to the temptation, correct? But in verse 5, Satan says, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What did Eve and Adam forget? They were already like God. They were already created in the image of God. They were already exactly the image that God wanted, reflecting him, reflecting his goodness and his purity and his morality And yet Satan says, if you just sin, you will be like God. You'll know things you don't know now. And so when they created sin, they stopped being like God and became something else, didn't they? Some of you know a line from Shakespeare where he says, To err is human, to forgive divine. You realize that statement is false? To err is not human. To err is less than human. It's not what humanity was intended to do. Was Jesus Christ fully human? Yes or no? Didn't they sing that tonight? Kind of cracks me up they were singing that song. That Christ became a man. Was he fully human? Did he sin? So was to err human? But see, even we've fallen for that. When God originally, that was not the intent for man to do. And yet, we know we have sin. So, what do we have? We know how man was created, how what God intended. But now we know we have sin. We know sin exists. Our problem is figuring out where did sin come from, right? Now, question, did God create everything? Yes or no? Just shake your head yes. Got that answer. Did God create everything very good? The answer is yes. Then where did sin come from? Who created sin? If God created everything, and God created everything very good, then who created sin? Well, some would say Satan did, right? Satan created sin. Or some will say Adam and Eve created sin. Turn to James chapter 1. Only God has the power to create. Satan does not have that power. We do not have that power. James 1, verse 17 tells us something we know. And this goes along with creation, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Did everything good come from God? Yes or no? That's what it tells us. But then two verses in front of this say something. Verse 14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin... And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. But then notice what he says next. Don't be deceived, my brothers. Good things came from God. 
Sin did not come from God. Now, see if you can follow the logic. Did God create everything? Just say yes. Did God create everything very good? Sin did not come from God. Therefore, sin is not a created thing. Sin is not a created thing. It's not created by Satan. It's not created by us. It was not part of God's original creation. And God did create everything very good. Because some of us say, well, how can a good God have let all this sin come out? Well, he didn't create it. What sin is, is this. By an act of the will, what God created is perverted or misused. We take what God creates good and we pervert it or we twist it or misuse it in a way that God never intended. It's not a created thing. It's a perverted or misused thing using something God created good. Now let me see if I can explain this with a long quote. I don't remember where I got this, but it's a good reminder. When sin became part of our experience, it required the addition of prefixes and suffixes for explaining by negation otherwise good qualities. Disobedience, disabled, disagree, disadvantage, faithless, hopeless. Could we use terms like dysfunctional or broken without this backdrop? When we build our doctrine where scripture begins, we realize how we were meant for so much more. It should not be surprising then that most people feel like something significant is missing from their lives. Perhaps we experience moments when life feels whole, but we know we're not the way we're supposed to be. Something great has fallen from its greatness. Something amazing has lost its amazement. Something beautiful has lost its beauty. Something whole is broken. Something healthy is sick and in need of healing. Something peaceful has been vandalized. I like that last phrase. That's what sin does. It took something God created good and peaceful and vandalizes it. And that's what sin is. It takes the good thing God has made and perverts it. God created everything very good. And then first Satan took it, and then Adam and Eve takes it and twists it. Remember what I just read you in Genesis 3-5? God created man in the image of God. And then Satan takes that and says, if you do this, you'll be like God. Twists it. Perverts it. Just a little bit. So God didn't create sin. Nobody creates sin. And we just read in James, sin, desire, when it conceives, bring forth sin. It doesn't create it. It just takes what God created good and twists it so it no longer looks good, so it no longer is good, so we know something is less than what it should be. And I remind you, that's what we do when we sin. We should realize we're something less than what we should be. We've taken something God made good and made it look not good anymore. Now, this couple of you answered that. You understand that by God giving us free will, he then gave us the freedom to twist 
what he's created good into something negative, something bad. And that's what sin is. Now, here's a question that some ask, and there's a simple answer, but it might not be simple enough. It might be too simple. Some would say then, why would God allow sin to stay in existence? When Adam and Eve sinned, why didn't God just wipe them off the map and not allow sin to exist? Why do we have everything we have now that started with Adam and Eve? Why did God let that go? A couple of verses I remind you of, Psalm 100, verse 5. Is the Lord good or not? The answer is always. You got that? The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. My guess is everybody here knows Romans 8, 28. Right? That God works, but God works in all things for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Does that include sin? Does sin have good purposes? Yes. Take me for evil guiding. Oh, Joseph said that, didn't he? You understand that God allowed sin to exist because it has something to do with his good purposes? I didn't say sin was good. Please don't misunderstand. Did, did you hear me say sin was good? No. So don't write that down and go back and tell the elders and the pastors, Pastor Brock said sin was good. No. Because God is good, it must be for good purposes that sin was allowed to exist and is still allowed to exist. And I ask you a question. If we did not experience sin, there are some other things we would not understand. You got that? Let me give you some terms. Grace. Mercy. Holiness righteousness, goodness, forgiveness, salvation. You realize without the existence of sin, those terms mean nothing? You realize for eternity, we will more understand how gracious God was because of experiencing sin. And so God had our good purposes in mind. You realize without sin, there's no salvation. That's a good thing, isn't it? We have communion this morning, reminding ourselves what Christ did for us in salvation. That was part of God's good purposes. That was plan was formed before the foundation of the world. Do you understand that? Before sin ever came in, that plan was also God already, already knew how he was going to use sin for good. So, do we know every reason why God allows sin to stay in existence? No, but we understand God's good purposes are still in play, even though sin itself is not good. The use of that will be good in our lives if we pay attention to what God wants us to learn from it. Now, let's get some easy answers here. Oh, there it goes. What is sin? Well, there's an easy one. Romans 3.23, I'll give you that one. You can quote it for me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's your easy definition to start with. Anything that falls short of God's glory or God's standards is sin. Now we say, well, that's pretty wide open. It is pretty wide open. But Scripture gives us some pretty good details using some different words. About some people read some verses for us. You have to volunteer. Someone's going to find Judges 21-25 for us. You have to raise your hand and tell me who's got it. 
Judges 21, 25. Susie's got it. Psalm 51, 1 and 2. Somebody's going to have to get it. Isaiah 53, 6. I can wait. Okay, that row's done. Isaiah 59, 13. Dan's got it. Romans 1, 18. I can wait. Bert's got it. Romans 1, 28. Bert, I'll let you just have word 28 too since you're in the same chapter. Romans 2, 23. Alice has got it. Romans 3, 5. Got it. 1 John 3, 4. Becky's got it. Everybody else is going to turn to Daniel 5. Okay? Daniel 5 for everybody else. Now, we're going to look for is some of the different words and phrases, definitions used in the Bible for what sin is. Okay? Because all of you know there's not just one definition for sin that works, and not even a scripture. Scripture uses a number of different ways to describe what sin is. So, Judges 21 25, reading it loudly, whoever has it. All right, there's our phrase, right? What was right in his own eyes? And we know that was sin in the book of Judges. They kept doing what was right in their eyes. Psalm 51, 1 and 2. All right, you heard two words there. Iniquity and transgressions were the two words used for sin in that verse, in those two verses. Isaiah 53, 6. All right, so we have going astray or going your own way. Those two are what sin is. Isaiah 59, 13. All right, we had the transgression part of that. We'll use the other phrase he had. Turning back from following God is called sin. The rest of you are in Daniel five right now, 9 right now, right? Look at verse 5. See how many different words for sin you can find in these verses. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Then in verse 10... And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. <clears throat> and later it says we've sinned against him. So how many words in those, just those two verses? Sin, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, turned aside the commandments, not obeyed, refusing to obey. How many different ways can he say, rather than just say you sinned? He tried to define it for us. Romans 1, 18 and 28. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a base mind to do what ought not to be done. All right, so we had a term ungodliness, and we had the phrase doing what ought not to be done. Then Romans 2, 23.
Okay, breaking the law, right? And then 3-5. All right, unrighteousness. By the way, breaking the law got left off the list on there, so you have to write that one down yourself. And then 1 John 3-4. All right, lawlessness, says it two times. So how's that a list? You say, what is sin? Well, here's a great list for you, isn't it? Now, as you look at those phrases, to you, which one defines sin the best? You got this whole list up here. Which one do you defines or lays out what sin is the best in your mind? All right, turning back, anyone else agree with Dan on that one? you think that's the one that works the best? A couple of you? Anybody think another one? All right, you're back to the Romans 3.23, falling short of the glory of God. Any others you like from this list? I don't mean like in a good sense. I mean like to tell you what sin is. We all like them. All right, doing what ought not to be done. Honestly, the one that tells it best for me is this one. Sin is rebellion. God created everything good, and we decide I'm rebelling and doing it any way I want to, and that kind of includes all the other phrases, doesn't it? Don't obey, not following God, and you get all those after that. They're all rebellion against what should be the way we were created. But you can see all sorts of phrases here that tells you what sin is. Go to Romans 1. We'll walk through these next passages. How many specific sins do you think you can list? If I gave you a couple hours, you think you'd have a pretty good list? I told you you're all experts on sin, just like I am, so it wouldn't be hard to do, would it? Let's look at some of our lists of sins that are given to us. Romans 1.29 says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. That was a word we have for sin. But then he starts listing them out. Evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Well, that's an interesting list. Here's a question. Which of these on this list don't seem as bad as the other ones? I know you're, you got, you're all going to give me the spiritual answer. Oh, they're all just as bad as each other. <clears throat> we say that, we don't believe it. Which of these on the list don't seem as bad as the other ones? Gossip. That doesn't seem so bad, does it? I mean, murder. That's a bad one. But gossip, that doesn't seem so bad, is it? Even though what's gossip? Murdering somebody's character. I mean, we understand what it is. What other ones on this list don't seem as bad as the other ones? Yeah, okay. disobedient parents, is that what you said, Allison? That one seems so bad. That's kind of a natural thing, isn't it? Of course, you're past that. You're an adult now. You don't have to do that. But this, that compared to some of the other ones, that doesn't sound, or, or the one next to it, f- foolish doesn't sound so bad, does it? Just kind of foolish. It's interesting. If we put our list together of sins, it'd be interesting what some of the sins are that are missing that we don't, eh, they're not so bad. 
But when you look at lists in Scripture, they kind of go the gamut, don't they? Uh, look at the next one in Galatians 5. It's interesting how many times in Scripture specific sins are listed in a group. Galatians 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angry, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Interesting list. Again, we look at some of these and we think some of these aren't so bad compared to others, don't we? Some of these, oh, these are really bad, but some of them we think, and yet they're all in the same list. Oh, by the way, you think these are exhaustive lists? That's why he says at the end, what? And things like these. In a nicely, he throws that in just to say, if you think this is the only list, you can find something off the list. Anything similar to this also falls in there. Look at Colossians 3. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness with idolatry. Gets down to verse 8. Now you must put these all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Just want to make sure you saw that phrase in there. All the things on the sin list do not demonstrate the image of its creator, which is why they're put on the list. And so we could go to more passages and list all sorts of specific sins. But I want us to remind ourselves of this. What forms can sin take? We went through these lists. We've got our list. But what forms can sin take? Go to James 2. I'm not going to look up all these verses. Some of these you can look up yourself later. Remember tonight, we're just introducing the topic, doctrine of sin. What are we talking about? James 2, 8 to 10, said, If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Obvious in here, when it talks about transgressors. And they're fixing PowerPoint. He just kicked himself out for a second. He's trying to find the right slide. Got it, Sam? Okay. First obvious one is sin of actions, right? Acts of commission. That we know. You do things that are sin. We looked at all these specific lists of all these sins that you can do. And so we kind of understand this first one. That's the easiest one to remind ourselves, that we commit sins. Now look at James 4.17. What about this one? So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Well, what kind of sin is that? Yeah, lack of action. So it's also called sins of omission. When I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it, that's sin. So it's not just committing something, 
It also includes not doing something I know I should have done. Too bad it doesn't stop there. Go to Hebrews 4. Just going back one book. Hebrews 4.12. Remind us of the power of the Word of God. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What form can sin take? Just thoughts and intentions, motives behind what you did. What we did looked awful good, didn't it? And yet our motive was totally impure. That was still sin, even if the open action looked like it was pretty good. We looked pretty loving. But our motive was wrong. Well, that's what this word brings out, that that was a sin. Wrong motives. We won't turn to the next two. But how many scriptures do you think talk about pride? Old Testament, New Testament. You can go to your concordance and find how many reminding you that you're not supposed to have pride. Attitudes. That's the category. That sin also includes having the wrong attitude toward things. Then go to 1 John 2. Most of you know this passage. In verse 15, Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. When he says don't love the world, what's he talking about? I shouldn't love some of the things of the world that God gives me to enjoy. Is that what he's talking about? I shouldn't love people in the world. Is that what he's talking about? Then say God so loves the world. He's not talking about people. What's he talking about when he says don't love the world? There you go. The world's system, the world's philosophy. The philosophy to live by. And he gives the philosophy here. The world's philosophy is live by what your flesh wants, what your eyes want. And what your ego wants, the pride of life. That's how you should live your life, right? No, that's how the world lives. And when we live by the wrong philosophy, that's called sin. Now I'm going to ask you to end on what hopefully is an obvious question. What does the use of all these words and ideas tell us about sin? We've listed all these phrases about sin. We've listed all these specific sins. We've listed all these forms sin can take. What's all that tell us about sin? And it's not a trick question. What does it tell us about sin? It's pervasive. It's complex. It's much worse than we think it is most of the time. It's all-inclusive. And I bet I put bad. I like that one. This is bad. We know that. But it's interesting. Sin is much more extensive and inclusive than we tend to give it credit for. We tend to think it is just kind of a list. 
and a few things on the list. Well, it's much more invasive than that, isn't it? And more extensive than that. Jack? Definitely, isn't it? And we're going to talk about that one next week. Okay? That what the nature of sin has something to do with subtlety. It really, many times, doesn't look all that bad, does it? Until you start putting all the words and lists together, and all of a sudden you're figuring out, this is a whole lot worse than we kind of gave it credit for. Well, that's in other people's lives, right? Not in our lives. Yeah, it's in our lives, too. That invasiveness, the extensiveness. And so we somewhat think we have this topic down. If you've been a Christian a long time, we somewhat think we have the topic of sin down. And then you start reminding yourself what sin really is and what God really intended for us. You realize when he made you new creations, he made you so you'd be back to demonstrating the image of God in its glory? I realize even unsaved people still are on the image of God. Everybody understands that? It's been warped. It's been modeled by sin. It's still there. But God makes us new creations because he said, guess what? I want you to demonstrate what that image was supposed to really be. And we say, ah, oh, nah, it's just a little bit of sin. It was just a piece of fruit that Eve ate. Where are we now? Yeah, not good, is it? That's where we'll be going the next three weeks. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so thankful that you are a good God. And we know you did not create sin. That sin is what we take, what you've created, and use it in a way you never intended. Help us to be more aware of sin in our life, to understand how to avoid sin, to understand how to flee from sin, to understand how to demonstrate to others what your image really is to look like when you live through us. We're thankful for your help in this and for creating us in your image. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.